Hey, Bridgeway, it's so good to see you again on this Sunday. Many of you in your homes, I'm in a home as well. We have campuses all throughout the world now because we are truly a multi-site church. Thank God that we can be in your home, in your car, or wherever you are today. You've caught us in the middle of a three-week series called House Calls. We serve a God that is still making house calls. Last week, we talked about hope. Next week, we're going to talk about help and how a prophet was able to help a widow with her two sons. But today, we're going to talk about healing. This is a story about Elijah, who was in the home of a woman we talked about last week when she had her final jar of oil, her final a jug of, of flour, and she was going to make her final meal for her and her son. But because the prophet of God asked her to, to give him something to drink and give him something to eat, God began to work through that divine hookup. And this divine hookup, this connection from heaven allowed a miracle to take place where her jar never ran empty, her jug never ran dry. She always had everything she needed. It was not her final meal. In fact, she had enough to feed herself, her son, the prophet, and much more. But something interesting happens as you pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, right around verse 17. After everything that took place, now we're going to find out that this widow's son is ill. I'm going to take you to the passage, and if you have a copy of the scripture, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. Today, I want to talk to you about a mother and her sons. You know, when you deal with a father and his daughters, you know, I have a daughter, her name is Asia, and ever since she was just a little girl, whenever she would bat her eyes, whenever she would jump around, give me a hug, it just brings joy to my soul. She'll smile at me, and no matter how bad she was, I can't help but smile back. My wife would oftentimes get frustrated because she would say, Asia has you wrapped around her finger. And I would say to my wife, yes, she does. She's okay with it. I'm okay with it. What's your problem? <laughs> you know, there's something about a father and his daughter. But interestingly enough, a mother and her son, there is such a unique connection between them. It's actually uncanny when you begin to look in the scripture to see how a mother and her son connect and communicate at a personal level. I've said it before. I'll say it again. God gives a child a father and a mother. And he gives a child a father and a mother because that father is there for the child's purpose. That mother is there for the child's person. It doesn't mean that the father doesn't care about the personal aspect of the child. It doesn't mean that the mother doesn't care about the purpose of the child. But God in his unique wisdom knew that the father was there to help that child reach its purpose and has more of a focus on the purpose of the child than the actual personhood of it. And that a mother, no matter what the purpose is, is always going to have her child in her heart. We even see this with Jesus and Mary. When everybody else is gone at the crucifixion, who's right there? Mama is. Because the reality is, even if you have your son being crucified, even if you have a, a, a criminal on the street, when they put that camera in front and that microphone in front of that mother, even though she might know the pookie did it, she's still going to be like, that's my son. 
There's something about the personhood of the child that connects with the mother. And maybe it's because when that boy was in her womb, there was a connection from that point until the day that he goes off to to first grade or off to college or wherever he goes. Even to this day, my two sons connect with my wife differently than me. Now, I coach them. I will uh, give them advice. They'll talk to me about uh, matters of, of philosophy and theology and business and direction. But when it's time to talk about the personal things in their life, the girls they're dating or marrying, the things they're dealing with in their heart, their feelings, they don't come to me. They go to their mother. What is that about? Always mama's boy, even when you're in your 20s or your 30s. And who am I to talk about this? Because I'm still mama's boy. Here I am in my 50s, and you know my mom, as soon as I think about her, my heart just begins to pitter-patter. You, you don't need Mother's Day for me. Give me a minute to talk about my mom, and it's all over. No, you can't talk about my mom. Well, I mean, you can talk about how great she is. But you say something bad about her. Those are fighting words. What's that about? You never have people get in a fight when they say, your father is a jerk. <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, why is it that when people talk about your father, you, you don't get angry? But if they say, your mama, hmm, a boy is ready to kill someone. Why? Because there's such a connection between a mother and her son. And that's what we find right here. This woman is about to make a meal, the final meal during a famine, and she's ready to cook bread and have some water before it's time for her and her son to die. But God sends a prophet, and sure enough, that prophet comes by, and we saw the whole story last week, and you think it's all over until you read verse 17. Let me read it to you. It says, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Now, let's just stop there for a second because I want you to notice that even after a miracle had been done, now something else takes place. First, you have a famine. They're about to die of hunger. This mother finally sees that she is not going to die and her son's not going to die. Can you believe how wonderful it is that she escaped death, especially for her son? My guess is she would have died herself, but she wouldn't want her son to die. She would have given her life up before she gave her son's life up. But because God showed up and brought hope to a hopeless house, sure enough, they both escaped death. But now we have a situation where the boy gets sick, and now this boy is getting worse and worse and is about to die. Can you imagine what the mother's heart must have felt like? And so she turns to the prophet, the same one that did this miracle in the middle of a famine is now there and her son is about to die. And I want you to notice what she says to him. And it's through what she says that we're going to learn exactly what kind of character we have in the God that we serve. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? 
Listen, there are three things we're going to learn about the kind of God we serve. The first one is right here, and that is this. We serve the God of miracles. Listen to me very quickly, very clearly. We serve the God of miracles, plural. You see, God just did a miracle. And I think what happens is sometimes once God does a miracle, we think now we're good. We can live the rest of our life because God did a miracle. No, God doesn't just do one miracle in our life. We serve the God of miracles. After he did a miracle for you before, guess what? You're going to get into another situation and you're going to need God to do another miracle for you. So you can't just serve the God of the miracle. You have to serve the God of miracles, one that will continue to do miracles in your life. He's not a one and done God. He's the God of miracles. And so he sees in this moment that this woman has already forgotten that God just did a miracle, which she should have been thinking was God did a miracle before through this man of God. So surely God is going to do another miracle. I'm here to tell someone today that just because God did a miracle yesterday, if you come against something today, that same God is still there with you. If he got you through it before, he'll get you through it again. If he did it for you before, he'll do it for you again. Why? Because we serve a God of the plurality of miracles. God's not done with you. God didn't somehow say, you know what? You used up your miracle quotient already. I I saved your family last year, and so you're not going to get another one. No, God is generous with his miracles. The kind of God we serve is one who will continue to, to serve us as we serve him. But I want you to notice the woman's stinking thinking. This widow says and immediately assumes Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? That's stinking thinking. I saved you before. Why would you assume that the same man of God that came to bring you hope is now the one that's coming to bring you death? The same man of God that God used to to bring you life is now one that is somehow going to bring you so much pain that it ends in death? She had stinking thinking. And what was her stinking thinking? Her stinking thinking was, God is trying to remind me of my sin. You see, some of us think like that as well. We believe that every time there is a negative circumstance in our life, we think God is paying us back for something that we did wrong. Because of my sin, God is allowing this pain into my life. Because of this sin, God is reminding me that I need to be repaid for that iniquity, which leads us to a second understanding about the kind of God we serve. We not only serve a God of miracles, but secondly, we serve a God of memory loss. Memory loss, yes. You know what Jeremiah 31, 34 says? Jeremiah 31, 34 says that he, speaking of God, doesn't repay us for our wickedness. In fact, it says he forgives us of our sins and he remembers them no more. That's right. You read it on your own sometimes. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, and then it's repeated in the New Testament in Hebrews 8, 12 that he forgives us for our sins and he remembers them 
no more. God has chosen to give himself the disease of divine amnesia. We serve a God, not only one of miracles, but one who has a divine memory loss. He chooses to forgive us of our sins, and then he chooses to forget about them. In fact, he made a covenant with his people in Jeremiah 31. It's the new covenant with the people of Israel, and it says he will remember your sins no more. I like what Psalm 103 says. Let me read that to you, just in case you don't believe me about God giving uh, himself this divine uh, disease, if you want to call it that. Uh, Psalm 103 says this in verses uh, 12 and 14. Let me pick it up at verse 11. In fact, I'll go all the way back uh, to verse 10. It says, he, speaking of God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Can you say, thank you, Jesus? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Did you see that? He remembers that we are dust. That's in verse 14. So what are we learning? We're learning that we not only serve the God of miracles, we serve the God of memory loss in that he does not remember our sins. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed his transgressions from us. But then verse 14 in Psalm 103 actually says, he remembers that we are dust. So that's pretty cool, right? He forgets our sins, but remembers that we're from the ground, we're dust. In other words, God is not surprised by the, the flesh that you have. He's not surprised by how he created you, that you were knitted together in your mother's womb, as it says in, in Psalm 139. But he also knows that you have sinned against him. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on the penalty for your sins. And Jesus took on those penalties for all of our sins, died on the cross satisfying the, the moral debt we owed to Almighty God and became our substitution or our atonement. So when we come into a relationship with him and apply what he did on our behalf, applying the blood of Christ and applying the crucifixion to our life, he not only crucifies the sin inside of us, but when he rises again from the dead, he lifts us up to new life as well. And so by faith, you and I not only have our sins forgiven, but now we have faith in God and we come into new spiritual life that's given by God himself to us when we confess our sins and invite him to be our Lord and our savior. And so we've learned that we serve a God of miracles, multiple miracles. There's somebody that needs a miracle right now. You need a miracle for your son. You need a miracle for your daughter. You need a miracle for your grandchild. You need a miracle for somebody in your life. Well, guess what? God is not done with doing miracles in your family. He's not done with doing miracles in your relationships. He's not done in doing miracles in your health. But he's also a God of memory loss. So don't think when you go through negative consequences that God is doing what this woman's thinking, thinking was saying to her. 
God's reminding me of my sin, of course. And have you ever felt that way? Like, even when you receive a blessing, like she received that miracle, as soon as something negative happens, what do you think? You know what? The other shoe has finally dropped. You know what? I knew it couldn't last. You know what? I knew this was going to happen. It was too good to be true. God's not going to just let me and my son live and have a prosperous life. And this is how we think. We think negatively, and every time we have a negative situation, we think it's because God is repaying us for our sins. And this woman said, are you kidding me? You've just come here to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? Reminds me of the Israelites. They're set free and delivered from uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, but as soon as they get out into the desert and they're hungry, they're like, so you brought us out here just to die? We should have just stayed in Israel. That's what happens. You need to be aware of this post-miracle blues. Post-miracle blues. God does a miracle in your life, and then the next thing that happens to you that's negative, all of a sudden you discount the miracle and you start believing, stinking thinking that you were believing beforehand. God is not looking for post-miracle blues. God is looking for post-miracle faith. That because he did a miracle before, I believe he's going to do a miracle again. Because he did a miracle at this level, I believe he's going to do a better miracle at the next level. Continuing to believe that God can come through. And if he can bring me food and multiply it in my last miracle, then he can also bring health and multiply it in this miracle. And that's exactly what happens. We find out that we not only serve a God of miracles and a God of memory loss who divinely gives himself amnesia, not remembering our sins anymore, but third and finally, we serve a God of mercy. You see, the prophet at that point could have just said, are you kidding me? Woman, I'm leaving here. After all God has done, and you're not going to accuse God of doing it, you're going to accuse me of wanting to kill your son? Mm -mm. He could have done that. And how many times could God say, really, after all I brought you through, you were homeless and now you can't pay your rent, so therefore you're just going to believe that I'm not going to come through for you? Uh, you were in the hospital five years from now, and now all of a sudden you, you, you have a sickness, you don't believe I'm going to come through for you? Uh, God could easily go that way. But do you notice God never really does that? God never really chastises you that way. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. Not only a God of miracles, but he's a God of mercy. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's mercy. So we see mercy from the prophet. I want you to notice what it says in verse 19. The prophet looks to the woman and basically says this. Give me your son. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid on his bed, and laid on, uh, his, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, "O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die?" Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, "O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him." The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, 
your son is alive. Wow. See, this is mercy right here. What I want you to see is four stages of healing. He says, give me your son. Now, I can imagine this woman is struggling with control issues. My son is dying. My son is sick. My son may be dead. And I've already accused you and God of somehow punishing me because of my sin. And now, instead of you being nasty toward me, you say, give me your son. Your most prized possession. The one you've lived with ever since he was born. The one who beat, whose heart beat while in your stomach. The one you pushed out, the one you breastfed, the one you helped to walk, the one you fed. Give him to me. Hmm. I told you a mother and her son, there's something deep and connected right there. And now God is saying through the prophet, give him to me. Here's a point that you want to make sure you walk away with. I believe it's a word from God. That if God is going to do a miracle in your life, then you have to give him the very thing you want him to transform. If God is going to do a miracle in your life, then you have to give him the very thing that you want him to transform. He says, give it to me. You want your son to be healed, you have to give him up first. You want your money to be healed, you have to give it up first. You want your family to be healed, you have to give it up first. You want your morality to be healed, you have to give it up first. God is saying, I can do a miracle, but you first got to let go of it. Because if you want me to do a miracle, you can't be in control at the same time. You have to make a decision. Do I control it and keep it myself, or do I give it up and let God do the miracle? But you can't have them both. You can't have control and the miracle. You got to decide, am I going to give it to God, or am I going to hold on to it myself? And let me ask you a question. When you hold on to it yourself, how's it working? So he says, give me your son. He says he comes and he takes the child out of her arms. And he says he carries him to the upper room. That's the first stage of healing. God carrying you. Some of you are looking for God to do a miracle. God is doing the healing, but he's still in that stage of carrying you. Sometimes we want an instantaneous miracle, but sometimes God has to carry you for a while. I need some mother to know right now that God's still carrying your son. I need some mother to know right now that God has not forsaken you or forgotten about you. God is just carrying your son. You're, you're saying, but my son's not this. My, my daughter's not that. My, um, my family member is not there yet. That's all right. God's still carrying them. God's carrying them when they're in the club. God's carrying them when they're driving on the highway. God's carrying them. Whatever they're doing, you need to know that we have a God who carries even the very ones that we care for when we can't control them anymore. Remember, you let go of control. Which means when you let go of control, you're saying, God, I'm trusting you to carry the very thing I want you to transform. It's hard to trust God sometimes, but I'd rather trust the thing that I am most concerned about 
to the arms of a holy God than myself or someone else. But that's just the first stage. It says in the text when you read it, not only did he carry him, but once he laid him on the bed, he cried out to the Lord for him. That's the second stage, not only the carrying stage, but the crying stage. This is when, when, when the prophet cries out to God. This is prayer. And this is where you need to be as well for your loved ones. You pray and you cry out and you say, God, please heal him. God, please return life to him. God, I'm asking you to do a miracle. And God responds to prayer. Prayer is the nerve that moves the muscle to the omnipotent God. Have you heard that before? Prayer is the nerve that moves the muscle of the all-powerful, omnipotent God. And so the prophet carries him. Now the prophet cries out. Maybe you are in that second stage of a miracle. Maybe you're in that second stage of healing. God's not only carrying your son. He's not only carrying your business. But now he stands at the right hand of the Father. And the text tells us throughout the New Testament that literally the Lord prays for us. Literally the Lord intercedes on our behalf. Literally the Holy Spirit with groans and moans that we can't even understand. Praise God's will for us. Understand that God is praying for you. That's right. The Lord Jesus is praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. And guess what? You're praying for your son you're praying for your sons. You're praying for your grandchildren. Maybe you're praying for your parents. Maybe you're praying for your siblings. This is the second stage of the miracle that God is doing and the healing that God is doing. He's been carrying you for so long and now he is just praying for you. But that's only the second stage. I would encourage you to continue to pray for your loved ones. But know that you're not praying alone, but you're praying in agreement with the God that wants your prodigal to be saved as much as he does but there's a third stage, and this is the one I love. When you get to the text, it actually says that he, he, he stretched out himself over him. It says in, in verse 20, then, verse 21, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, oh Lord my God, let this boy, boy's life return to him. He stretched out over the boy three times. All right, we said that there are four stages to healing, right? Carrying, crying, through prayer, asking God to move. Now here's the third one, covering. It says he stretches himself out over the boy. See, one of the things that we need to know is when we're not in control, we're not only asking God to carry the very thing that we're concerned about that he transformed. We're not only praying and crying out to God to do something, but God, while they're in the state that they're in, would you cover them? <laughs> is anybody praying for covering over their children, covering over their house, covering over their family members, covering over their finances? God... It's through the prophet covering. Because you know what? When you're covered, the enemy can't get to you. Death seemed like it was going to come into the life of this boy, and it seems like he coded and out he went. But when the man of God covered over him, we see that life is about to come back. It's like the man of God is saying, and it's like God is saying to the devil, no, 
You can't have them. That's Anderson's son. No, you can't have them. That's Fonseca's son. No, you can't have them. And insert your name. No, you can't have my daughter. No, you can't have my household. No, you cannot have this one. Because the man of God was right there. Covered him. Maybe that's the prayer that somebody needs to pray today. God, cover my son. I know that's a mother's prayer. But it doesn't stop there because there is this fourth level, this fourth stage that brings the healing all together. And this is where we get the consecration. He not only covers them, but he consecrates them. What do I mean? It says that when he stretched out over him, he stretched out three times and cried out to the Lord. Once for the Father, once for the Son, once for the Holy Spirit, completely covered and completely consecrated. Did you know that God can consecrate your children? He can consecrate your siblings. He can consecrate your nieces, your nephews, your cousins. God consecrate our family, which means to separate them out, to cleanse them, to wash them. God, through Jesus Christ, not only covers our sin, but he also cleanses our sin. This is what it means to be a priest. A priest is one who stands in the gap between God and man. And in this moment, this prophet is also a priest. He stretches over him three times. And in that time, he not only covers him, but he consecrates them. What are we saying? We're saying we serve a God of miracles, plural. You got another one coming. That's good news for someone today. A God of memory loss. Don't fail to stinking thinking. God is not remembering your sin. He's forgiving them if you just ask him to forgive you. And we're serving a God of mercy who does not treat us as our sins deserve. And he says, give me your son. And when you let go of the control, he then begins the process of healing in your household. And as he begins that process of healing in your household, he might be carrying you. He, he might be crying out on your behalf. He might be covering you. He might be consecrating you. Sometimes that takes time. And we're not sure exactly how long this took, but it seems like it was pretty quick because once he laid on him three times and prayed that covering over him, once all that work was done in the unseen world that we can't see, sure enough, he touched the boy, and it says that the life came back to him. This is the part I like, and this is the part we'll close with, but it's this part right here. He carries the boy down to his mother. Can you imagine what that had to be like? First of all, I gave him up to you, Lord. You took him away from me I, I, in the upper room. I, I can't even see him anymore. I don't know what's going on. I'm anxious. I'm trying to have faith, but I'm about to lose my mind. And through a period of time, he comes back down and he says, here he is. <laughs> I can imagine the boy saying, mama. <laughs> and I can imagine that mother saying, oh, my God. He's home. I need somebody to know today that God is carrying your boy back to you. He's on his way. You just have to wait, but it's on. It, 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 he's on his way. The, the, the prophet's on his way. Uh, he, he's carrying that thing that you gave to him. And I don't know what you gave to God, but whatever you gave to God, whoever you gave to God, you need to hear me today. Some of you are in the stage where it's all done. You just have to wait for it to be delivered. 
So we can thank God for this message because this message brings healing to your house. And I want to pray for healing in your house today. I'm in every home like I'm in this one today. And the home that I'm in today is your home. And the healing that I'm talking about today, it's your healing. And you just need to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Lord, I pray a covering. I'm going to pray for you now. Lord, I pray a covering over every child in this house, over every teenager in this house, over every toddler in this house. I pray for every grandma and every grandpa, every dad and every mom, every marriage and every bank account. I pray that you would bring healing to this house and that you would touch and cover and consecrate that no one would be lost in this house and that the good work of your healing will be done. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.